Welcome to our official Rutgers SECD Lab podcast. My name is Malika Verghese and I'm a third year psychology major at Rutgers University. I'm a resident assistant on campus as well as an undergraduate research lab assistant for social emotional character development. I'm joined here today in celebration of International SEL Day by my wonderful co-host Jonathan Khalil. Hello everyone, I'm John Khalil, a senior psychology student at Rutgers University and a proud member of the social emotional character development lab where I get to spread a plethora of social-emotional learning resources and encourage youth voice through the Youth Nation Project. It is our pleasure to formally introduce Dr. Elias, one of the nation's leading experts in SEL and character development. He's a professor in the psychology department at Rutgers University, New Jersey, where we study, the director of our Rutgers SECD lab, academic director of the collaborative Rutgers Center for Community-Based Research and Service, past president of the Society for Community Research and Action Division of Community Psychology of the American Psychology Association. Dr. Elias has received the SCRA Distinguished Contribution to Practice and Ethnic Minority Mentoring Awards, along with the APA's National Psychological Consultants to Management Award. Professor Elias lectures both nationally and internationally to educators and parents about students' emotional intelligence, school success, social, emotional, and character development, He's a recipient of the Sanford McDonald Award for Lifetime Achievement and Character Development. He has published numerous books promoting social and emotional learning guidelines for educators, the social decision-making, social problem-solving curriculum for grades K through 8, the book Emotionally Intelligent Parenting, and one for young children that talks about treasure stories to help build emotional intelligence and resilience in young children. Dr. Elias also writes a blog for educators and parents for the George Lucas Educational Foundation and is developing an online credentialing program for direct instruction of social, emotional, and character development programs in classrooms, small groups, and after-school settings, and for school-focused coordination of social, emotional, and character development in school culture and climate. I just want to add that we deeply appreciate you for doing this for us, and without further ado, folks, we'd like to present to you Dr. Maurice Elias. Dr. Lice, tell us about your day. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm having a good day because it's Friday. So Friday is almost always a good day. Uh, we happen to have the sun shining. We happen to have some uncharacteristically warm temperatures. And uh, actually, the snow has finally disappeared from my front yard. So I, it's a good day. Sounds like a great day. And we're all glad to hear that everything's going well. Now, for viewers and listeners finding out about SCL and social-emotional character development for the first time, we'd like to ask you, what does SCL and character development mean to you? Well, SCL, social-emotional learning, and character development are, are, are sort of partners. And they're partners in how we go about interacting with the world. And, you know, we all come about our business with a certain set of skills. And it's great to have skills, uh, skills like the ability to have uh, empathy and be a good problem solver, to deal with your strong emotions. Now, these are all skills that we all have, very important. But it's a question of what we use those skills for. And that's where the character development piece comes in. Um, it makes a difference if we're using our skills constructively to better other people, to help and serve other people, to help people who are uh, oppressed at disadvantage in various ways. So to me, uh, social, emotional, and character development is that combination of directing our energies toward a positive purpose and developing the skills that will help us to get there. Uh, you know, one of the analogies that we like to say is that uh, if you think of a, of a boat uh, a boat has propellers that push it forward, uh, and those are the SEL skills. They push us forward in life. But a boat also has a rudder, and it's the rudder that determines where you're going, and character virtues are the rudder. So as we all take our journey of life, we need both, and that's why we call our lab social, emotional, and character development. Um, because we really see this as a unified concept. So we understand that the unifying themes in your action research, clinical work, and policy and advocacy as the development of positive, constructive life paths for children and youth, and the organization of opportunities to allow this to happen in equitable ways led you to social-emotional learning. 
What specific findings in your early work sparked your need to begin SEL in schools, and how long have you been conducting this research? Uh, I've been conducting this research since the mid-1970s. This is before anybody even ever used the term SEL. But there's always been it. There's always been ways and words to describe the stuff we're talking about. Um, and I got involved in a project at University of Connecticut when I was in graduate school. And the, the, the really big push for me came not from data per se, from a research project, but from uh, a clinical practicum I had with disadvantaged kids in Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, I would, when I was an intern at, at the uh, Child and Family Center uh, in, in Hartford, uh, I, I would sit in the staff room. And as college students often know when you're interns, sometimes you can be invisible. Uh, and adults will say things as if you're not there. And even though I was a graduate student, uh, I was sitting there and it was as if I wasn't there. And the staff were talking about, you know, if only the schools had done this for these kids, and if only the parents had done this, and if only the pediatricians had done this, and every single thing that they were saying, if only, I was saying to myself, well, why couldn't they? And why didn't they? And, and that, that got me thinking that if, in fact, they, they could and would, then the kids that we'd be seeing would not have such unbelievably difficult problems. And so while I was being trained as a clinical psychologist to deal with those problems, it just felt more humane to me to be trying to avert those problems. And so that's what kind of got me focused on the area of prevention. And, and, and then what, uh, what happened next is that I I started working on a project with um, advanced graduate students at the University of Connecticut. And it turned out that the same things that they were focusing on in treatment were the things that we would want to focus on in prevention. So for example, that your ability to control your emotions. So, you know, if kids were getting in trouble, well, clearly they needed that skill. But they needed that skill before they got in trouble. So it, it started to turn my attention toward the idea of strengthening and intervening early in life so that maybe we could prevent kids from running into those later difficulties that then become so complicated to undo. So that's kind of the path. And, and uh, I started down that path in the mid-70s. And, um, and there were a bunch of other grad students you know, think about, you know, the 70s, you know, you're talking about the Vietnam era, there's a lot of idealism. And there are a bunch of other graduate students uh, that were similarly inclined. Some folks out there may recognize the name Roger Weisberg. Uh, Roger Weisberg was very involved as a leader in the Collaborative for Academic Social Emotional Learning. Um, I first met Roger when uh, he was a grad student and I was a grad student. Um, and we've known each other and worked together ever since. As members of the Social Motion Character Development Lab, me and Malika, we're both aware of the different projects actively implementing social emotional learning in the classroom in our communities. And we recognize that your inspiration and your past is the driving force behind these. And you take this opportunity to bring up this next generation of social emotional educators. Are there any important findings from the lab that you'd like to share with educators or even students listening to the podcast to maybe inspire them into either researching or pushing this agenda further? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that we've learned in recent years that I think um, is really, really important. And that is the idea that inspiration precedes remediation. So let me, let me say what I mean by that. So here we are in the field of psychology, and we've got a lot of ways to diagnose what's wrong with people. And we spend a lot of time in that negative diagnostic frame. And we, you know, a field of clinical psychology, we're busy trying to fix people. And, um, and so in the schools, educators are also trying to 
get kids to learn better and, and learn more and learn faster and make up for achievement gaps by giving them more time on task. And all that flies in the face of what we know about people. And that is that people need to be inspired. And so when we say inspiration precedes remediation, what we mean is that before we're going to get kids to learn skills, we got to make sure they've got a reason to learn those skills. And the reason they're going to ultimately want to learn those skills is because they believe they can do good in the world. And so I believe that when a school opens up its doors and they let these kids in, they have to believe that every single one of these kids has the capability to do great things in the world. And now we don't know in what medium that's going to be. Some of them may be art artistic. Some of them may be chemists and biologists, engineers. They may be computer experts. Uh, they may be great teachers. And who knows what they're going to be? But we got to have that assumption. And then we have to recognize that a lot of those kids walking in the door don't have that assumption. And so just because we believe it about them is only half the battle. They got to believe it about themselves. So we have to be helping these kids become inspired. And, you know, we saw this in our work in Jersey City. When we were building a curriculum that we call Mosaic, Mastering Our Skills and Inspiring Character, which is, uh, you know, the project is completed. It's on our website. People can get materials, uh, et cetera, if they want to. It's great. But what we, what we came to see is that when we showed kids models of kids that looked like themselves, who had overcome various kinds of adversity, they began to see, huh, maybe I can too. And that idea of maybe I can too is so important. It opens up that window of receptivity. And if we can get in there and, and prop that window up even further, then we're going to get the kids to want to learn, genuinely want to learn, not learn for a grade, not learn to achieve, but learn to their dream. And when you're learning to your dream, that's when your learning is at its best. That's when you're learning for something that has great significance to you. And, and we also learned through our work in Jersey City, focusing on youth purpose, that purpose changes. That kids change, you know, uh, middle school, which is the age level we were focusing on, hey, you think you're going to be doing this, and then maybe you think you're going to be doing that, and you think you're going to be doing this, and that's very normal. But what's problematic is when you don't think you're going to be doing anything, or if you think the only things that you're going to do are going to be bad. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so we have to be helping kids focus on their positive purpose, their potential for making positive contributions in life. And, and then we can build skills on that. So that's something that we learned that's, that's important because typically people are very busy to try to give skills before building relationships and building a sense of purpose. That's what we got to do first. Now, this is a lot about inspiring other students and a lot of these future citizens of our country. But now I have a question for you personally. What inspires you to continue doing your work? Is there anything that may not be so easily evident, not something in the field of SEL or character development that inspires you to continue doing your work? Well, I've always been guilty of being focused on communities that I care about a lot. And so, you know, when my kids were going to school in Highland Park, New Jersey, uh, I wanted to make sure that those schools were really terrific places where they could grow, not just academically, but socially and emotionally. And so I started getting involved in those schools. And I'll, I'll tell you the story of how I, how I got involved. My older daughter, Sarah, was in second grade. I believe it was second grade. And she was, um, her teacher was teaching a, a lesson on problem solving. 
And so Sarah, who has always been, uh, well, we, we say she's a big mouth, but probably shouldn't say that. Probably say some better, more socially appropriate term, like she was <laughs> precocious verbally. Um, she said to the teacher, well, my daddy does that. And the teacher, who, who responded sarcastically, said, well, if he does that, why don't you have him come in and teach the class? But, you know, seven-year-olds don't understand sarcasm. <laughs> but she thought it was an invitation. So she comes home and tells me, my teacher would like you to come in and teach the class. I said, well, how nice is that? Great. I'll do it. So I went in and I did it. And the kids were incredibly receptive. And, and the teacher said, whoa. Um, and, and that kind of got things started in, in Highland Park um, and got me started in Highland Park. And, and, you know, it turns out that I've, I've been really focused on communities where uh, there have been people that I care about a lot. And, and, and that's been a big impetus for me. And, you know, the things that we develop in, in a given place are then things we then share with a lot of places. Um, now I have uh, two grandsons and a grandchild, another third grandchild on the way. And, uh, and I'm very concerned about what's going on in their school districts and which, where they live. So uh, I'm, I'm motivated to, to make sure that we keep advancing things and sharing with the districts. Um, and, you know, uh, you know and, and at this point now, having, having, having been around for, let's just general, generously say, quite a while, um, I know people in a lot of places. And I want all their kids to have a wonderful school experience. So, uh, so, so even though this may seem like it works at the level of generality, to me, it's very personal. I want the kids of the people that I know and care about and like to uh, have fantastic education experiences. And I'm enough of a community psychologist to know that because we live in an interdependent world, um, they're not going to have it good unless everybody has it good. So therefore, everybody should have it good. And that has nothing to do with SES, race, ethnicity. Nope. Everybody is interconnected. That's the, one of the great insights of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And if everybody's interconnected, then we want everybody to uh, be benefiting from this whole area of social, emotional, character development. And it's a very, very close uh, relative uh, positive school culture and climate, right? So this is the extent to which schools help kids feel welcomed when they enter the building, walk in the door, sit in their classrooms. That's the starting point. Uh, I've never met people who could learn well when they don't feel welcomed. That's actually an amazing segue because I was just about to talk about positive school climate, which at least in our lab, we talk about quite often. We also talk about uh, a jumbled schoolhouse. I would love for you to explain to our listeners a little bit about what a jumble schoolhouse is and what it's supposed to become when we implement SEL in schools. And I also say this because with positive school climate that you mentioned earlier, I've gone to schools in California, in Mumbai, India. I've had a range of diverse cultures and teachers from different generations, maybe, who've never had social emotional skills or learned them themselves. And now they are educating us as youth and the new generation. And it's so different. And I feel like it's difficult when people have implicit biases as educators based on their childhood. And maybe it wasn't a really positive one. And now they're here educating only the things that they know from their personal lives and putting it on this new generation. So that's how we talk about the Jumble Schoolhouse. And what do you think we can do? We understand how it's supposed to look, but tell us how schools can actually get started in a positive direction. Yeah, you know, I, I think we have, to, we have to just recognize that we all, we all come in with biases, um, you know, no matter what, that's just part of how we're constructed as human beings. We, we take cognitive shortcuts. Um, there's nothing evil about it. But, but what becomes problematic is when our biases uh, don't allow us to learn new things. And one of the things that definitely has been learned recently is the importance of a positive school climate. 
of relationships as being at the core of lasting learning. And, and I use the term lasting learning because you can, in a, in a very structured and rigid environment, get kids to learn stuff that they can regurgitate on tests. Uh, you can get test scores up temporarily, but, but that's not lasting learning. That's not learning that people are taking into their heart and soul and mind and hands and, and carrying out in their life. That's just stuff for statistics. And so, you know, we've also learned that this takes some time. And, and time is not something, you know, people often want to give. Uh, they're in a hurry. They want to do things fast. They are uh, evaluated as teachers sometimes on what happens in the course of a given year, even though the, 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 the trajectory may have been set three or four years ago by the kids' previous teachers. So, so, so this is part of the jumble that we have to unjumble. Mm-hmm. Is that we've got many influences, many agendas, um, not nothing necessarily bad. You know, in fact, our, our schools, if our schools are guilty of doing anything, it's trying to do too many good things. Um, you know, that there is a there are many cliches about this. Too many cooks spoil the broth, right? Uh, too much of a good thing. I mean, they are cliches because they contain a kernel of lasting truth. But the simple truth is that if you have a glass that's completely full and you've got the most expensive champagne in the world that you try to pour into it, it ain't going in. And you could pour harder and you could get six more bottles of champagne and you could go over the summer and go longer into the night. It ain't going in. And so we have to reconcile ourselves to these realities, and that's hard. So unjumbling the schoolhouse requires people to take a step back and do some serious prioritizing and recognize that, that social, emotional, and character development and kids being able to make contributions and see their sense of purpose um, has to be a part of the mix because if it's not a part of the mix, then the kids don't have anything to fit all the pieces of their education into. Mm-hmm. They've got nothing to make it coherent. They've got nothing to, to have a direction uh, into where things are going to go. And, you know, if you, you may both remember from your high school schedules that there was no real rationale for what you had first, second, and third period. I mean, who knew, who knew what it was going to be? And often those things were completely disconnected. And, and, you know, so by the time you get to the end of the day, you're exhausted because you've been, you've been like a human pinball and you've been going boom, 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 <laughs> boom to seven, eight different classes. And, at, and when you're done, you're just done. Thank God. One less day I have to worry about toward my 180 school days. And, and that's what happens when we have a sort of a micro vision of what school is like. And we have all these pieces, but no whole. So unjumbling the schoolhouse requires the people to get together and really think about what do we want our school to stand for? Mm -hmm. What is the purpose of our school? What is the focus of our school? And how are we going to bring the kids through that focus during the years that we have them? And, uh, And when people take time to to sit around and have those conversations and do them, they create a very positive school climate where relationships are at the center and learning really becomes meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. And I guess we also kind of talked about how certain communities are more affected by the lack of social emotional learning in schools than other communities and or other people in schools or children in schools. So which communities do you think are the most affected by a lack of SEL? And how can we focus a lot of our learning and skills for them to bring everyone to equity, I guess? Yeah, this is a very complicated question, really, um, because... SEL skills are important for every community, but sometimes communities can can, uh, buy their way to greater success than other communities. 
And, and when we think about, um, you know, what's called ACEs, so-called ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. uh, some communities, uh, kids have more of those than others. Now, in the COVID-19 environment, in which we are currently speaking, um, more people are experiencing those uh, across the board, but still, there are some communities that are getting their disproportional share. And so in those situations, um, it weighs heavily, very heavily on kids. And the emotional blocks to learning become tremendous. They become substantial. And I think, I think we have to think of equity in two ways. We have to think of equity in terms of making the school the best place it can be for the kids and giving the kids uh, the skills that they need to manage what, they, what happens in school. But we, we can't for a minute think that because we do SEL in the schools, we're making the world fair. Um, because those kids are still experiencing disproportionate adverse events. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, as, as one colleague put it, it is tremendously unfair that some kids have to work twice as hard to go half as far. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't want that to be the model because that is a model based on inequity and is guaranteed to perpetuate the same social conditions that we have now. So, um, so you know, in the work that we do in the lab, uh, we are focused on making every school as good a place as it can be for every child in an equivalent way for 180 school days for all the minutes they're in that building. But then, you know, we have to have a political life uh, and, and that's where we're advocating for reallocations of resources, where we're advocating for um, an end to uh, the uh, prejudice-based uh, um, uh, unfairnesses around housing, mm-hmm. um, the inequitable, inequitable distribution of health care that starts with uh, prenatal care and, and begins to compromise kids, you know, even before they're born. And, and so those are things that require action through other media. Uh, those are not things that SEL in the schools can really change in and of themselves. So, you know, one of the other things that I've done for the past well, well over three decades is I've been a member of the Board of Trustees of Advocates for Children of New Jersey, which is New Jersey's leading child advocacy organization. And, and that's the place where one can influence legislation and policy and, and work to try to make second-order changes at that structural level. So, so even though we talk about SEL as advancing equity, we have to put an asterisk on that mm-hmm. because it, it does help kids be better able to deal with what they have to deal with, but it doesn't change the extraordinary inequity of what some kids have to deal with. Professor, I do really, uh, really quick, I want to ask because, uh, of course, John and I or anyone who has taken your community psychology class at Rutgers knows uh, the difference between first order and second order change. But for our listeners, just in case, because you did mention it, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I did. I did say that. So <laughs> second order change uh, is change that is genuine, structural. It involves changes in roles. It involves changes in power relationships. It involves changes in goals and, and structure. First order change is what some people call old wine and new bottles. Uh, it's, it's the illusion of change. It's surface change. And, and we have a lot of that. Um, you know, when I was talking earlier about the fact that we're often in a hurry to, to do programs and make progress, um, that's an example. When, 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 when uh, schools in uh, disadvantaged communities raise their test scores through some some program, um, that's first order change because very soon those scores go right back down to where they were before because we haven't really changed anything. We've just sort of done a little temporary magic. Um, and, uh, and, and, and second order change takes time. It's, you just cannot have a shortcut when it comes to second order change. But the, 
advantage of that change is you don't backslide. So, so we've adopted this model, by the way, in our work in the lab. Uh, we are not, we don't want people to just pick up programs and do them. Mm-hmm. We want them to understand them deeply so that they will not then just go on to the next program next year, but will feel a deep commitment to what they're doing and stay with it and get better at it and, and really create lasting change. That's, that's the whole point, really, is building the capacity of, of schools as organizations to create lasting change and to have it within themselves to continuously improve what they're doing. Um, because, you know, we're one lab. There are 2,400 schools in New Jersey. We are not working with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really want to do a lot of empowerment uh, and get principles out there get them out through social media, get them out through publications, presentations, uh, get them out through demonstrations, and, um, and, then, and then help network people to be the carriers of this change in their own local schools. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. So it seems like a lot of our focus so far has been on implementing social-emotional learning within the classroom. But as a community psychologist, where do you see social-emotional learning being implemented outside the classroom, whether it be in the community or in households? And how are we in the lab going about that moving forward? Social-emotional learning is relevant in every area. Uh, And I hate to say it, but you can almost see it through its absence, right? You can see the implications of the lack of empathy and compassion in civic life and political life. Um, You could see the inability to do creative problem solving in civic life and political life. Um, You can see the inability to uh, manage your strong emotions again in civic and political life. So so, uh, it's important everywhere. Uh, It's important in the workplace. It's important in the family. It's important in religious settings. Our lab is focusing on schools and educational settings because that's what we're good at. And, um, and, and I think it's important to do the things that you're good at. And it's important to have other people doing things they're better at. And so there are... Um, there's something called the Consortium for Research on Emotional Intelligence in Organizations, eiconsortium.org. People who do that work in, out of that consortium are phenomenal at SEL in the workplace. Um, these are folks that have had business careers, corporate careers, really understand the business community and context in the same way that we understand the schools. And, um, and so, so that's why they can work to their strengths because they understand those systems. So, so that's what I mean when I think we all have to have our own niche of excellence. Uh, you know, one of the other uh, principles of community psychology is the importance of context. And, uh, and, and what you do in the school doesn't automatically and easily just transfer over to the workplace, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's equally relevant. But, but there has to be a translational process. And the people who know the workplace best are the people who could do that translate. Now, another area where SEL is really important is parents. Um, and I've had many conversations about this with many people. And the problem is that reaching parents is very difficult. There isn't a unified way to meet them. They don't have a, a sort of a, of a union, you know, or organization. And so even though we know a lot about how to reach parents, um, doing it in an organized way is difficult. You, you know, I've done loads of parent presentations in schools and I've done webinars uh, I, in many different contexts. But, but those are all sporadic efforts. And, uh, and I've got colleagues that have done the same thing. But it's very hard to reach parents. Um, so what, what I think ultimately is going to happen, uh, if I had to put up, take my crystal ball out, 
is that schools are going to take seriously the need to engage parents systematically and are going to build SEL for parents into the structure of school. Now, for that to happen, believe it or not, we have to solve our immigration problem because we've got parents who are afraid to come to school because they're worried that they might get discovered, maybe even deported. So as long as that's happening, the school as a locus of parent engagement will be limited. And then we've got the economic issues. We also have to do a better job of, of, uh, of reducing income disparities because we've got some parents that have to work two shifts. Maybe the husband works one shift, the wife works the other shift. But, but what it means is that parents can't come to school, to the school. And, uh, and may not have the wherewithal, interest, or energy to, to zoom into a school-based webinar. So, uh, you know, until, until, we don't have a level play, until we have a level playing field economically and, and in, in, in the context of security, we will still not get as many parents involved through SEL in the schools as we would like. But it's definitely, I think, um, an important aspiration. I do think we're making some progress in that area, but, but it's going to depend ultimately on the two things I mentioned. So, uh, International SEL Day, March 26, 2021. Can you touch upon the work that you did in getting this day proclaimed by the New Jersey governor as SEL Day? Well, International SEL Day is a joint product of uh, SEL for U.S., Social Emotional Learning Alliance for the United States, and the Urban Assembly, which is a, uh, a set of schools uh, located uh, predominantly in New York City, but not only, um, that, that is extraordinarily devoted to uh, youth empowerment and engagement and, um, and, and has embraced SEL to a tremendous degree uh, as, a, as a set of schools. And I should mention that the person who is the, now the CEO of, um, of the Urban Assembly, who, recent, who before that was the SEL coordinator of Urban Assembly, um, was once, like you, an RA in our lab. So you see the, the, there's a nice thread here. <laughs> what can happen if you play your cards right? You too can be David Adams someday. Um, <laughs> I wish I could be David Adams. He's just <laughs> extraordinary. Um, so, so, so the idea here is that um, to just put a spotlight on SEL and, and to just make it the focus of people's attention for one day. That was the original focus of, of SEL day. Uh, it's, this, the one we're talk, coming up on now is the second one. Um, and, and it wasn't, clear what was going to happen with that. Um, but it turns out that it, it was effective. And the governor uh, made a proclamation for that first SDL day. Um, so we figured this is a good shot. The governor would do it for the second SDL day. But I am, I am proud to say that I had very little to do with it because our friends and colleagues at the New Jersey Association of School Psychologists took the ball and ran with it. They ran with it and got a touchdown. Um, fantastic work. Uh, the, the, um, the, a lot of people were involved, so I don't want to start mentioning names uh, and, and leave uh, important people out. But uh, Terry Allen uh, and uh, Saul Heckelman, were exemplary in uh, carrying the ball into the governor's office, working with the New Jersey Department of Education and getting that proclamation for this year. But what we also got this year was a proclamation from the New Jersey State Board of Education endorsing uh, SCL, International SEL Day. And I, and I will just tell you that, um, that one of the reasons that happened was because of a, of a gentleman named Mark Biadron. And Mark Biadron, um, who passed away uh, very recently, uh, very suddenly um, uh, and, and 
far, far too early. Uh, Mark Biedron uh, was on that New Jersey State Board of Education for many years. He was a champion of SCL. He even uh, was the founder of a, of, a, of a private school focused on character development. And uh, Mark, um, Mark, more than anybody I know, spoke to people with power and influence in New Jersey education and government about SEL. And, uh, and he, 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 he got them ready for this moment. And it was a uh, very poignant and a tremendous uh, moment when his, uh, his wife um, was able to accept this award from uh, the state board. Um, Christy Biedron, who is uh, a leader in junior achievement in New Jersey, is, uh, as Mark was, also a member of the leadership team of SEL for NJ. And um, so there's a lot of strong emotions and personal connections and history that's bound up in, in this. Um, but, but basically, uh, we as a community in New Jersey are probably number one, maybe number two to Massachusetts. We have this fight with them about it, but certainly leading other states in commitment to SEL. Uh, and and so, so this for us is not a one and done. Uh, International SEL Day is just a day that we shine a spotlight on SEL, but like anything else, the light radiates outward. And so it starts to illuminate what happens before SEL Day, and it's going to illuminate what happens after SEL Day. Because um, our kids of New Jersey need 180 days of SEL, not just SEL Day. And it is international, so exciting. Our colleagues at the European Network for Social and Emotional Competence, um, they have already uh, put up a program um, that they're going to be doing, a very powerful uh, webinar uh, for SEL Day, and uh, their member or members of their organization will be doing things as well. So it is really International SEL Day. Very exciting. And... Um, and I am uh, incredibly proud of the social media team of our lab uh, that has taken on a tremendous role and responsibility in getting out the word uh, about this and getting out good practices that people can try. And, um, and that includes coming up, uh, sharing the message of the New Jersey uh, Commissioner of Education about SEL Day. So, so our, our lab and our social media team in particular is integral to what is happening uh, in, in the state and in the nation and in the world around International SEL Day. Here you are, Dr. Elias, answering two of our next questions. Uh, one was about how SEL Day can, you know, further help contribute to its purpose, which you, you answered so wonderfully. And then John had a next question about how uh, we can make SEL Day more than just a trend. So I'll let John go with his next question. But thank Going, you. Going, tagging along to that, we'd <laughs> really appreciate in the, in the mode of not making SEL Day a trend, do you have any short activities you'd like to share with us or our listeners? Any bit of advice for either educators, future educators, or even students listening to the podcast? Well, you know, the, at the website, SEL, uh, SELday.org, there is a, a tremendous and growing collection of things that people are doing. And there's nothing that I could improve upon uh, beyond what, what's there to do. But I will say this. Uh, one area of particular excitement and innovation is the connection of SEL and the arts. And there's a new website, selarts.org. And, and you'll see a lot of really good stuff there connecting SEL and the arts. And I, I think for a lot of people, it's, it, that's the medium where people get excited about SEL. Um, we've had a couple of lessons in our Mosaic curriculum that are available on our website where we teach kids uh, how to write 
social protest songs. And we do that by first uh, showing them some contemporary social protest songs from uh, diverse artists, um, including uh, Bob Marley, uh, Santana, uh, Gloria Estefan, um, others, and, and, and let them look at them and understand them and look at the lyrics. And then we, uh, then we introduce them to some of the old timers, you know, the Pete Seegers and the Peter, Paul and Marys and, you know, people that would otherwise seem like ancient history. Uh, but first we start in the, in the present. And look, the reality is that, that when you go back into that history, it's not a very diverse group. So if we start with that group, People don't see themselves there. Mm -hmm. But if you start with where we are, you can then begin to see the thread of connection, how, how they started to set the, set the trajectory. And then, of course, what really matters is we, the kids write their own social protest songs. That's the whole point, really. The whole point is that, that, that here's how you can express yourself through song and and that's what we want our kids to be able to learn how to do. And we want them to learn how to do it cooperatively, not individually. And of course, in order to do it cooperatively, they got to be exercising their SEL muscles. They're going to have to be listening to each other. They're going to have to be respectful to each other. They're going to have to be problem solving. How do we fit this in? How do we do that? Should it be this? Should it be that? What mode? What genre? Um, you know, they're going to have a lot of decisions they're going to have to make. They're going to have a lot that they're going to work through. And when they work that through, they will have a product better than any of them could have done on their own. And, and that's the spirit of, of, uh, of the activities on SEL Day. Uh, it's not about the person. It's about the people. It's not about the I. It's about the, the we. And ultimately, you're trying to do things that are going to help other people. Um, again, drawing inspiration from Martin Luther King Jr., who said anybody can be great because anybody can serve. And, and we want all of our kids to feel they have a voice, to feel they've got a message to communicate, and then to give them the, the skills to do that. And, you know, one could sit the kids down and have them try to write a social protest song, work on that for three or four classes. And I'm sure they would get something out of it. But when they go through it in the, in the, in the SEL lab way, where they first see these examples, inspiration preceding remediation, and they can see themselves in these artists and then, and then begin to see that there's a history and, and here you know, hear the present in the past. Then when they go about doing their work, it's going to be different. It's going to be deeper. It's going to be richer. It's going to be better. Well, it seems like collaborative creativity and inspiration are key to the development of these uh, social emotional skills. And I'm glad to see the efforts we've put in. And I wouldn't mind, I'm probably going to end up looking up some of these songs. Are they anywhere? Have, have these students, uh, songs ended up anywhere that people could see and uh, experience for themselves? You know, I, I honestly, um, you know, when we were doing this work in Jersey City. We were doing it for the kids. We weren't doing it to generate examples. We weren't uh -huh. doing it to wave the flag or anything. We, we just wanted these kids to get it. And so we, uh, we did not, um, we did not intrude on the process. And so it, the, 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 what happened in the classroom, you know, it's like what happens in Vegas stays in, what happened in the classroom <laughs> stayed in the classroom. And, and, you know, that's important because, because if you're going to protest, really, really, you know, get your heart out, um, you got to feel like you're in a brave space to do that. And if you know that this is going to go on a website. That's true. And that, 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 that John Khalil may see it and want to make a TikTok video out of it. <laughs> you, you know, it may constrain what you do. And so because our ultimate goal was for these kids to learn and feel empowered, we, we just didn't want to mess with, with their products. We wanted it to be 
in the classroom, for the classroom, for the classmates, and then whatever the school decided to do is entirely up to them. Almost for but, their personal growth in a way, right? That's it. That, that, that was, that's the agenda. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the lessons are now available for anybody to, to pick them up and use them. And when they do, they will get the same results. So, so we accomplished our goal in the sense that we helped the kids in Jersey City. But we then also, through that work, created a template that can be used with kids anywhere. With that, Dr. Elias, we'd want to thank you so much for joining us today and providing our audience with this wealth of information. We want to provide this opportunity for you to make any closing remarks, perhaps leave the audience with some insight or ways they could reach you or the lab regarding more information should they seek to do so. Well, our lab is uh, viewable at uh, www.secdlab.org. And I certainly encourage folks who want to know more about what we're doing to check it out. I would encourage everybody to join uh, SEL for US, which is www.sel, the number four, us.org. And uh, when you do that, if your state has an alliance, you'll also be a mem- become a member of that. And, and, you know, because at the end of the day, we all get better when we all get better. And, and networking is the way to do it. Um, we, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. And we're better off if we're not worried about getting credit for something, but rather contributing to something. And, and I think if we can get that attitude behind us, we can, we can move a little faster on these uh, very challenging issues. But, you know, I, I will say this. Um, I close a number of my presentations with a, a quote from John Wooden. Uh, John Wooden is a great legendary basketball coach at UCLA. He has won more games and records and championships, unbelievable. And John Wooden always told his team not to worry about the opposition. And his motto was, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. So there, there's something that every one of us can do to make our, our climates, family climate, work climate, lab climate, school climate, a little bit better. There's something we could do to improve our own SEL skills and to foster SDL skills in others. Maybe we can't do as much as we'd like to do, but if we each do what we can do, we're going to make a lot of progress. And, um, and that, that's what our kids need. They need us to, to, to move forward a little bit faster. Not, not impossibly fast, but a little bit faster. And uh, so I would encourage everybody to get involved. That's pretty much all we have for you today. We hope the listeners as well as you thoroughly enjoyed tuning into our podcast. You can follow us on social media by, like Dr. Elias said, looking up our website, sccdlab.org. SCCD Lab is also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok, and now Spotify. Um, Pretty much anything you can think of. Thank you for tuning in. We are the social media team from the SCCD Lab, and have a great day, everybody. And hope to see you soon.